Welcome to Story Chats at Inspi Romance. I'm Elizabeth Madry and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Narelle Atkins. I'm Valerie Comer. And today we have Carla Loriano here with us to talk about her new book, Provenance. Carla Loriano is a two-time Rita award-winning author of contemporary romance and Celtic fantasy, a graduate of Pepperdine University. She worked in sales and marketing for nearly a decade before leaving corporate life behind to write fiction full-time. She currently lives in Denver with her husband, two sons, and an opinionated cat named Willow. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us today, Carla. Thanks for having me. So um, your next book, Provenance, am I saying that right, Provenance? Yeah, Provenance, um, okay. either way. Either way, okay. Um, <laughs> I think everyone to... pronounces it a little differently. Sure, yeah, that's the French words, right? Everybody except the French do it their own way. <laughs> exactly. Um, you release August 3rd, and I thought we'd go ahead and read the back cover just so that everybody knows what it is we're talking about. It's a really great back cover too, so <laughs> um, we'll start with that. So Los Angeles interior designer and former foster kid Kendall Green is in high demand both for her impeccable eye and her uncanny ability to uncover the provenance of any piece. But for all her success, skyrocketing costs have put her California home and her business in jeopardy. Then an unexpected inheritance provides a timely solution. A grandmother she never knew has left her a group of historic properties in a tiny Colorado town on the edge of ruin. To young untried mayor Gabriel Branch, Jasper Lake is more than another small town. It's the place that saved his life. Now, seeing the town slowly wither and die, he's desperate to restore it to its former glory. Unfortunately, his vision is at odds with a local developer who wants to see the town raised and rebuilt as a summer resort. He's sure that he can enlist the granddaughter of one of its most prominent former citizens to his cause until he meets Kendall and realizes that not only does she know nothing of her own history, she has no interest in reviving a place that once abandoned her. In order to save his beloved town, Gabe must first help Kendall unravel the truth of her own provenance, and Kendall must learn that in order to embrace the future, sometimes you have to start with the past. So I absolutely love the story, and Thank I'm you. excited that you're here to talk about it with us, um, but Valerie actually is going to kick us off with her first question, so I'm going to turn it over to her. Right. Here we go. <laughs> well, let's talk about the title really briefly, Provenance. It wasn't a word I was really familiar with, quite honestly. How did you come to the title? Uh, it was really the only title I ever had in mind, um, mostly because it just summed up the feel and the theme of the story so well. Um, the origin of something, especially when we're talking about techniques, is what gives it its value. And so when we have a character who knows absolutely nothing of her history because she was abandoned as a child and raised in foster care, um, there's a lot of that. How do I know what I'm worth when I don't know who I am truly? Um, but I have to say, we went through a lot of debate over whether or not we wanted to keep this um, title or not, because there were a lot of people who weren't familiar with it. And we were afraid that it wouldn't catch on quite so well but after we threw around a bunch of other titles we finally decided that there was just nothing else that really described it quite as well and we ended up keeping it so I guess we'll find out. That makes total sense because I did go to google and say define provenance <laughs> and, and got both the the meaning that really works for the the antiques and the the stuff that that Kendall is working with in the story and then her own lack of knowledge about her own history. So it does work, but, but I did look it up. 
Because well, I, I mean, I know that word, but but do I really know that word? <laughs> if it sends people to the dictionary, I guess that's not a bad thing. I was one of those nerdy kids that would just flip through my giant dictionary and read words. So yes. I had a sister like that. That was not me. <laughs> I was always great with the spelling bee, though. I got to tell you. <laughs> me, too. me too. I could have spelled that probably <laughs> a long time ago without knowing exactly what it meant. So I've always loved houses. Uh, I think in another life, another world, I could have been an architect, uh, especially of um, alternative housing and and weird, weird things because I have a strange mind. Um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed the fact that the houses that Kendall inherits have historical significance and aren't really exactly what one would expect to find in a remote mountain town in Colorado. So is architecture your field or did you do a ton of research or how did, how did you come up with that? It is not my field at all, even though I've always kind of loved it from a distance. Um, I did do a fair amount of research. The idea for this actually came about because my husband and I were driving just through um, like Southern Denver and we saw all of this construction going on behind these big high brick walls. And you could tell that they were tearing down these old, beautiful, mm. 1890s through 1910 houses and rebuilding modern homes on it. And I thought, well, that's kind of sad. I understand why they do it in a lot of places because they're just too derelict to save um, or it would cost too much to rebuild. But I kind of thought, what kind of history are we losing right. when we're just raising things to the ground and, and building up new again? Um, there's a lot of interesting architectural history in Colorado, though, especially because we have many of these mountain mining towns. And so um, I didn't I actually base this on Grand Lake, Colorado. Um, which is on the western side of Rocky Mountain National Park. And so there is some historic architecture there, um, but there's other towns in the high country as well that have these just beautiful little pockets of Victorians that you would never expect. You get all kind of the western log cabin sort of things, but you have to remember a lot of these developed um, around gold and silver mining and either even lead mining. And so there would be a lot of wealth that would come into these tiny little towns quickly. And so um, the mine bosses or owners would build houses for themselves and little towns would grow up. And then as the veins um, dried up, then they would die again. And so it wasn't, that wasn't quite the history um, of this town completely, right. even though I did tie that in a little bit. I'm um, yeah. talking about the Holy Trinity of ore in Colorado <laughs> with gold, silver, and lead. Um, but it, it's interesting, if you spend enough time in the high country of Colorado, you'll just come across these little towns that have these beautiful red brick, you know, Georgian or Victorian or just incredible architecture with the plaques and saying for 1880s, 1890s, I was actually just up in one, um, I was up in Cripple Creek uh, yesterday and they, it's this old mining town with, you know, all of that, that kind of old architecture, you just don't expect it. So yes, I did do some research, but mostly I was just inspired on what I was seeing as my uh, family and I explored Colorado and it's so sad when you see them have they haven't been taken care of and they're starting to fall down and there's piles of brick, bricks around them and you know that it's just going to be too expensive for them to renovate or um, you know to fix and they're just going to eventually bulldoze them and what kind of history are we losing from that 
so it's, much. It reminds me a lot of, of the backcountry of British Columbia too, because mm -hmm. we're also very based on mining. And uh, yeah, there are, you just come around the corner on a logging road somewhere and there's all these ramshackle houses that are half fallen down. You're like, what, what happened here? You know? So yeah, I get that sense of history that seems to be lost and, and missing. Well, we don't tend to think of, because we're looking at them as historical artifacts, but these were the newest and greatest and most fashionable styles to build houses. And so you have someone all of a sudden with a lot of money and they're going to build a house like they had back in England or a house like they're seeing in the big cities on the East Coast, especially because in the right. West Coast of America, we had a serious, um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we, we, uh, inferiority complex. We had a little <laughs> bit of an inferiority complex compared to New York and Boston and all of that. And so you'll find these just like gorgeous examples of, of architecture that belong on the East Coast in the middle of, you know, Nowhere. mountains. And yeah, it's, it's kind of incredible. So without giving away too much of the story, what can you tell us about revitalizing small towns through tourism or other means? I don't want to give away too much there, but have you had a front row seat to a small town getting new life? Not um, so much from that perspective, but here in Colorado, it's a big debate um, over preservation versus expansion. Um, we're right. growing really quickly. We've added a couple of million people in the last 10 years, which is a huge rate of growth um, for any state. And so, um, I was kind of thinking along the lines of what's happened with some of the ski towns. And it was interesting. I was at a, a light, um, I'm gonna say like, no, it was the Midwest Independent Publishers mm -hmm. um, Association Conference. And I was talking to a woman um, who lived up on the high country and owned a bookstore there and was a big advocate um, for preservation and um, all of these things for small towns. And, and we were talking about the fact that as these towns become resorts, the people that have lived there for generations are basically pushed out. And this is especially prevalent in the high country um, where the people who are operating the resorts and are keeping them running and are making all of the money for the resort owners have to drive 50 or 60 miles to be able to get to work or they have to live in um, resort housing um, for the like employee housing, which is- right like bunk housing yeah. and what a shame it is. She, she was actually starting a college scholarship fund for the children of the resort workers um, to be able to go to school. And so it's a, it's a big concern. This is always a, a discussion that comes up on um, the difference between, well, I mean, really capitalism versus um, the public good and, and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So Again, that's uh, something we yeah. see here too, because tourism is a big part of British Columbia, but tourism jobs don't pay super well. Exactly. Compared. And, and it's fickle, as we have found right. out in these COVID times <laughs> when there hasn't been a whole lot of tourism going on. Uh, but anyways, I've probably monopolized you long enough with those questions. <laughs> I know that Narelle and, and Elizabeth have some questions as well. So Narelle, why don't you pop in? I will. Well, I'll just, I will say in terms of the cost of living in regional areas, that is a massive issue in Australia. So that theme of um, having Price the locals being, yeah, 
the locals being able to afford to live and and being actually able to rent property rather than Airbnb renting everything out, yeah. um, we definitely can identify with why the um, they want to preserve the town as it is as opposed to having a massive resort built there. But anyway, so yeah. I'm going to switch over to talking about the spiritual themes in the story. So one of those is the prodigal son thing, biblical theme, although I love the way you did that because I didn't pick it. So I knew in advance that it was a theme in the book because we talked about what was in the book and I was like the slow coach reading the book. Um, so I knew it was there, but I didn't actually, I went, oh, wow, I didn't, wouldn't have picked it from the beginning. So I thought I'd ask if you wanted to expand on why you drew that theme out in the story. Well, the reason why you didn't pick up on it initially is because that was not intended. And it's not, it's not really even how I describe the story, which is funny. I knew that I wanted to, and I guess I should go back and say that when I write a book, I typically do not start with the spiritual theme. Um, I'm usually working for some, from something interesting um, about the characters or something that I've seen that sparks an idea. Like I said, it was you know, driving just down a regular road and seeing a house and thinking, oh, I wonder what kind of interesting furniture and rugs and things that they were pulling out of this house and, and Kendall kind of developed. And so um, it was unusual for me to hit on the spiritual theme really early on. And as I was developing the story, I thought, I want to write about what our relationships with authority figures, how that affects our relationship with God. And yeah. because that's something that I've seen a lot. I mean, I've seen it in my own life. I have a pretty good relationship with my dad, um, but there's good and bad in every relationship. And as I've gotten older, I've definitely seen my tendencies um, even uh, towards him and towards God and, and how those two are interrelated. And I've seen what has happened with my friends and their spiritual journeys, especially those who have like had fathers walk out on them and their family and kind of the trust that's broken there, not just with their earthly father, but with their heavenly father as well. And so I think sometimes we underestimate how much our physical, our earthly relationships really affect the way that we come to God. And so the fact that it ended up being a prodigal, prodigal story in a sense um, wasn't really the main thrust of that. I just wanted to say, okay, what happens when you have a girl that has this kind of history and she thinks she's been abandoned by everyone, including God, because surely if God was real and God was involved, he would never let anything terrible like that happened to a five-year-old girl whose mom just dropped her off at a drop-in daycare one day and never came back for her. And so um, it, it's kind of interesting how stories take on uh, the mind of their own and also what yeah. readers read into it afterwards and go ahead and even know that theme was in the story when I wrote it. That happens to yeah. me too. And readers say, oh, that was really cool what you did there. And I'm like, I did what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm happy to take credit for it, but... <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But you know, yeah. they say that the book isn't finished until it's in the hands of the reader because the reader is the one that adds the last part of the story. And I think that's really true. Definitely, definitely. So Kendall's faith journey really is the um, probably where the, the spiritual thread really comes out in the story. But also you draw on um, the importance of, and this is something I often don't see in Christian books. I was really glad to see it in your book, is the issue of being unequally yoked. Mm -hmm. Um, so did you want to um, expand a bit more on that without giving away any spoilers? 
Ooh, how can I expand on that without, <laughs> um, <laughs> without getting away spoilers? Spoiler, la, 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 la. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we find out pretty early on that Gabe is a Christian. He's not always the most faithful Christian. Um, like all of us, we have our challenges, mm -hmm. um, but he's trying and it's really important to him. Um, and I knew that Kendall wasn't going to be a Christian. And that's something that developed as I wrote the story, I thought I want to do this in a biblically sound way. And I don't want to make it seem like the minute that one partner accepts Jesus, that everything's okay. Now, like you're going to be, you're going to be fine. You're not going to have any conflicts. You two are completely on the same page. I mean, um, my husband is a Christian. He was raised Catholic. We come at things from completely different directions. Um, so even though we may be on the same level in our faith journey, we have different faith backgrounds. And so I think that's especially true um, for someone that comes from a no faith background and someone who's been raised in the faith that it takes some time to find your footing. And I also didn't want to write a story where um, I guess we're giving it away. I mean, in, in a Christian book, you figure that she is going to eventually come back to God, right? Yeah. But it's kind yeah. of the journey and how we get there. That's, that's the interesting part. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I also didn't want it to be what can sometimes happen in romance. Like, oh good. Okay. She's a Christian now I could get them together. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so I did want to make sure that I took some care with that. Um, but I think you'll notice that in all my books that, all of my characters have some heavy issues to work through, and I always want them to work through it on their own before they get into the relationship, because um, you can really easily get into that situation where someone else is fixing all your problems for you. And, and you know, that's codependency. That's not love. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And I, you drew, I think you drew that point out really well about the codependency. And I think that's something that as I read the book, I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But I'll turn it over to Elizabeth now. She has a couple of questions for you. Um, okay, cool. Um, I, I have always appreciated actually that about your books because you, I, you see that in, like you said, all your books, that, that it's not this magical love now fixed everything. You have to fix your own stuff. <laughs> which is good. I appreciate that. Um, so it's funny, um, cause I'm to blame for having said the, the prodigal, the prodigal as the spiritual theme. I'll, I'll own that. That's what I saw. Um, but I did actually, um, it was interesting to me how <laughs> readers bring their own baggage to mm -hmm. things. So I, I'm an adoptive mom. And so the whole aspect of her being wrapped around the axle with her identity, because of her foster care situation um, was really fascinating to me. And just this idea of um, where our identity comes from. And um, so is, is, is that something again, where it's just research for you? Do you have experience with foster care in your friends and family or um, anything like that? Or <laughs> where not, did that come from? <laughs> not personally, and I'm always hesitant to write about subjects that I don't have personal experience with, especially ones that can be kind of sensitive. Um, I have a lot of friends who have adopted and I've seen um, some of the triumphs and challenges, let's put it that way um, with it. And I've seen that and, and read that many times it's not the trauma to the child when they're separated from the parent. And it's not even necessarily the trauma 
that there's trauma being placed in an adoptive home, but it's the trauma from the system and the being shuttled around and um, the feeling unwanted and not knowing what's going to happen to them. And so that's why I, I talked about the theme of she, Kendall really did have a really great foster home, but she went through some bad ones. Um, initially, and she internalized some of the lessons that they unintentionally taught her. And it took some time to unravel that. And, and that's something that I have observed, though not experienced myself. There are actually a lot of writers that write about adoption and foster care much, much better than I do. <laughs> but I did want to do enough research to make sure that um, it was psychologically appropriate Mm -hmm. for Kendall and how she felt about the world around her and that I wasn't I didn't I didn't want to portray foster care as this terrible thing because yeah. thank god we have it yes. and thank god we have a foster families and adoptive families but I also know that the system itself could do better sure. um, and there are some traumas associated with yeah. the way that that you know comes together <laughs> I feel like you handled it very well. It, it was clear that you were cautious and caring, I guess, is a way, is a way to Well, thank you. That. That's a relief so. because I really, <laughs> I really do want to be cautious and caring about these subjects, especially this yeah. one. So no, I, um, and I liked how you tied the whole issue of identity um, through the whole thing from the title um, to uh, even Gabe hits some issues with his identity because he has this whole uh, family backstory as well that almost is the same level of trauma as Kendall's, even though he had an intact relationship with his mother. Um, so again, you know, there again, you really, I think, tackled this idea of, you know, how your past absolutely impacts who you are, but, but your identity really ultimately needs to come from Christ. Um, mm -hmm. And as they grow into that and they get closer to it, I, I just, I enjoyed seeing that progression and that development. Um, which then, so are, are you planning more books? Are there more? Because I feel like there are some, some good couples available. <laughs> Okay, so I always build potential good future couples into books in case I want to write more books. Okay. This for now is a one-off. Okay. What I will do in the future, I don't know. I mean, Luke is definitely yeah. a potential like hunky welcome wagon guy. He's yeah. got to have his own story at some point, but yes. But no, I that might be something that comes in the future. Okay. I would also say Gabe's dad is a really good possibility for a, you know, second chance, older man romance, you know, that would road. be fun, especially <laughs> since I'm getting to that age group myself, you know, <laughs> good yeah. call though. <laughs> yeah. Those well, are the two. I picked out a couple, like the coffee shop girl. I'm like, hmm. she, she has an interest. She'd be a fun heroine too. She would um, be. I feel like she's got too much of it. To, like she's got her stuff together though. She like does. she's already been through. Oh, it would just have to be a prequel. Apart. Yeah. You can, you can blow it apart though. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Delia. I don't want to, I don't want to blow her life yeah, apart. Sorry. I forgot her name. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. I'm always, it's, I wrote this almost two years ago. Oh, wow. And so, and I finished the galleys probably nine months ago. I haven't opened the book since then. I'm just hoping I get my own character names right. <laughs> because I've written 
three books since then. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I've written two novellas and another book. And so, um, yeah, it's fresh for everyone who's reading it. And then I go to do publicity for it. And I'm like, oh, I hope I remember these people. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. That's fun. So before we close out, we thought we'd do really fast, um, this or that. So basically we'll give you two options. Okay. And you tell us your preference, just gut response. Don't, okay. don't think too hard, but you can explain if you want, but just okay. like gut response. So Valerie, you're, you're first. Would you rather read a novel about celebrities or geeks? Geeks. <laughs> good, good answer. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> geeks are interesting. Yeah. There's a right. lot going on behind that pocket protector. Well, I don't know. That's really nerds. So geeks could be like, Star Wars collectible, you know, people, cosplayers. Mm-hmm. Hey, I wrote a book about cosplayers. So, I mean, well, there you go. <laughs> obviously I'm on the geek side. Perfect. Narelle? Um, well, you've written, Carly, you've written a couple of books that um, internationally, so outside the US. So my question would be if um, you had a contract sitting there um, and the setting was irrelevant, would you rather write a book set in the States or would you rather travel somewhere overseas to an exotic location? Travel, hands down, no thought. <laughs> because that's the right answer. <laughs> I get to travel there for research, right? Yeah. Yes. Post COVID. Yeah. Post COVID. Yeah. Hey, I'm planning my trip already. I'm telling you. Excellent. All right. So you actually, your books have come up in a lot of our podcasts when we talk about food, which we seem to do a lot. Um. So, but you're kind of like our go-to, one of our go-to foodie authors. Oh, yay. Foodie author, Carla. Um, So would you rather cook or eat out? Eat out, believe it or not. I'm with you. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, I love to cook. I am actually a really good cook and I'm still tired of cooking. And after COVID where I was cooking three meals a day for four people, seven days a week, I eat out whenever I can. Forever. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, That sort of wraps up everything. And so thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us where is the best place to find you? Like your website, maybe Facebook? Yes, definitely visit me at my website, carlaloriano.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, you will get a free ebook. It's really fun. Speaking of exotic locations, it's set in Belize. So who doesn't want a little tropical escape? Oh, and it's about a chef. So, I mean, we've got food (laughs) and we've got travel. So basically this is like- And and is there a geek or a celebrity in there? (laughs) Um. Well, we got a, we got a rich guy. I mean, like the hero is like the wealthy. No, we almost do. The (laughs) hero is the wealthy son of a TV producer. TV. So it's it's close. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. We'll let it go. That's been a while too. (laughs) since I read my own book. Perfect. (laughs) Or you can find me on Instagram, Carla Loriano author. I'm also Carla Loriano author on Facebook. Um, But yeah, that's pretty good. Come visit me. We'll chat. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So thanks everyone for joining us at Story Chats. You'll find information about the podcast at inspiromance.com slash story chats. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you never hit an ep- miss an episode. Don't, don't miss the episodes. <laughs> we'll see you <laughs> next week. And don't forget in the meantime to fall in love with a good book. Bye everybody. Bye. Goodbye everyone.